Welcome to Building Public Podcast, and I'm your host, KP, and today I'm joined by an exciting guest, someone whose work, whose publishing work, and I've been following for a long time on Twitter, his long-form writing, and uh, especially as he made a pretty a significant pivot into Web3 and has been following his journey in the Web3 space. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But without further ado, I just wanted to welcome Nick. Nick, I'm going to butcher your last name once again, man. You put me on pressure. <laughs> That, that's okay. It's 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 Dewild, uh, but but uh, a lot of people say Dewild. It's it's a Dutch name. It's a very I hard one to pronounce. Thought, uh, but... For some reason, I thought it was South African, but it, good to know that it's it's Dutch. Um, <laughs> Dewilda. All right. And this is so funny because coming from an Indian guy whose last name is just as hard to pronounce. But maybe I should, I should just go by ND, by ND uh, yeah. the way you do. Yeah, just yeah. get a cartoon avatar and go by ND on Twitter. Anyway, welcome to Building Public Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, KP. Of course. Appreciate um, it. We were jamming on a few topics that I know the audience would be very curious to learn more about just before we got started. And the three themes that I want to touch today is one, Web3. We have never done a Web3 dedicated deep dive on the podcast, so I'm really excited to you know, do that with you. And number two is your journey as you know, you, you kind of quit your job. You quit your job last year and you kind of went independent. I know you call it the jetpack moment. I want to talk about that. It's a pretty significant step, you know, in, in someone's career to go independent on top of a great, you know, tech career that you had before. So we're going to talk about that. And then the third thing is, of course, you run a very popular newsletter called The Jungle Gym. I've been reading it way before I joined on deck. And it's frequently quoted, including by our CEO, David Booth, who loves your work. So personally, I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. And, you know, this is going to be a great conversation. Really excited to this. Let's, let's right, dive so in. Let's I love talk, it. All, all, those, all those topics of course, are fun. <laughs> let's go in the reverse order. And so let's talk about the, the Web3 moment. I, I, you have a great launch coming up. If, if we can time this episode really well to your public mint for, for your project, I think, you know, I'll be happy and my team will be happy to do that. But can you give us a little intro into this latest Web3 project? It's a DAO, I know, and you're working on it. Give a little background about it. And also please give, you know, a place where people can go um, find out more or go mint their uh, NFT. Sure. Yeah. So, so Invisible College is a learning DAO for sort of uh, Web3 curious builders and creators and um, basically people who, who want to sort of who are, are watching Web3 happen and want to get involved, who want to contribute, who want to invest, who want to build in the space. And, and we really wanted to make a space for those people to just immerse themselves. I think all of the folks who, who are founders of Invisible College, we've all built education programs before. We all got into Web3 together by, by kind of doing screen shares, by, by sort of just learning together, right? And and, and and I think with, with Web3, that, that is really the, the way to learn. It's a little bit opposite of Web2, right? With, with, with Web2, you start out a builder, and then if things go well, over time, you become maybe an angel investor. In Web3, that flips. So you start out actually an investor, and then you sort of get immersed. You understand how to use a wallet. You understand how to participate in a blockchain game, mint an NFT, all these things. And, and then suddenly, you, you just get pulled in and, and become a builder. So we're kind of taking people along that journey, right? Where, where we're showing them you know, interesting investment opportunities. Um, some of those are actually bubbling up from in Invisible College. And then actually, like we're, we're going to all work together to build courses to be able to help empower builders to be able to launch their own things. And so that's kind of the, the ethos of IC. And, and, and we are 
launching it and powering it with an NFT project called the Decentralians. And so Invisible College has kind of its own crazy lore. Uh, it's, it's sort of easier to see than it is to, to, to uh, exactly just hear. But, you, but, got um, a, you got a whole storyline there, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so, so the, you know, the Decentralians are, are this 10K NFT project on Solana, which really we think of as like, it's a really quality standalone project. Like we didn't want this to be like, a kind of afterthought uh, as a way to build the treasury. It's like, it's like really, we actually started with this NFT project and then built the school around it. And so the, the Decentralians are, are sort of the, they're the founders of Invisible College. The lore behind it is they, you know, escaped their repressive home planet to, to found a, a community on the basis of, you know, free expression and creative exploration, all these, these fun things. So, so we, we, you know, we're, we're minting that the pre-sale starts February 17th. And then, and then for those who weren't able to register in time, the public sale will start on February 21st since that's a, a Monday. So Exciting. it's coming up yeah. super fast. And um, yeah, it's, it's been great. I, you know, I think, I think for us, it really mattered to us that we create a really high quality community. We're, we're really trying to be very intentional about who those people are, but we're also trying to, to be pretty inclusive of, of, of people who are um, just excited and enthusiastic to get involved. So it's been a really cool experience. So um, for those I, who are probably yeah. very new to like, Invisible College, is it a two-way relationship? Like, do you have to have decentrally an NFT to participate in your Discord for Invisible College and contribute and vice versa? So eventually it will be NFT gated. At, at the moment, we haven't minted any Decentralian. So the the, uh, the Discord is open, but you will eventually need to have a Decentralian in order to participate in the community. Um, what we may end up doing is actually also selling subscriptions so that people who want to be able to try it out before, who maybe have never minted before or who are, who, who are really new to Web3 can sort of do, do it in a, a sort of traditional Web2 way where they can test it out, do a monthly subscription until they feel comfortable, and then they can buy a Decentralian and sort of get this all access pass for as long as they're a holder. And we, we think, you know, pairing the, the an NFT with a school has this, this really neat uh, kind of impact on both assets, right? Like the, with an NFT, like one of the big reasons why I think a lot of people are, are hesitant to purchase their first is like, you don't want that NFT to like sink in price and then have to be able to tell your significant other that you can't go on vacation because you, you know, minted too many toads and penguins and like, you know, they, they all tanked in price. And, and so, you know, by, by pairing an NFT with, with value, with, with, with a school that you can actually be a member of. We think that there's just this, it, it sort of sets this nice floor on the price of the NFT. And so we like that. And then if you look at it the other way, we're like, hey, okay, I'm going to mint this, this NFT. It gives me access to all these courses. But if let's say at some point, you know, the community, the courses, the, the events, they're sort of no longer serving you, right? It's, it's no longer where you are. You can sell that membership to somebody else and recoup. You can at least recoup your costs, may, you know, maybe even uh, make more than, than when you bought it, right? So, so there, there's something really powerful that, right? I'm, Imagine if you could like sell access to your alma mater, right? Your, your college would probably be not hitting you up for uh, donations all the time, right? They, they'd be working harder to serve you. And so we think it, it aligns incentives in a nice way. I mean, and then the, the someone who went to Stanford, correct? I'm sure the kind of sure sure Stanford, experience yeah. of being an alumni, Stanford grad school, correct? Is fresh off your mind. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, so un undergrad oh, both, and okay, grad cool. school, yeah. I, so I went to Vanderbilt. So I have a, a, a little bit of resonance to what you just said around like alumni feeling like, you know, you know we're, we're hit up only when, you know, they need money or they're doing a fundraising round for the next round. But but it, I feel bad too. Like, it's just, I just don't know how else to contribute, you know? And then uh, the only way I think about it is just like, you know, maybe you just can give them some money or et cetera. But if there's a way... To 
schools can tap into alumni for expertise. You know, for example, if Vanderbilt invited me to do a 30-minute session on building public, I would have, I could do that in my sleep and I would be way more joyful feeling like I'm contributing and really doing something. And like there's a direct linkage between me and the current batch, you know, as opposed to like when I went to school, like, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago and feeling like I'm still part of the ongoing narrative about the school as opposed to like just one time, you know, I just went to school and then there's not much of a ongoing relationship both ways, you know? And I think, yeah. Sure. Totally. I mean, I, I think like when we think about that, like the magic of kind of Web3 is you collapse this definition between owner and customer, right? And by by kind of giving people, by building this DAO where, where everyone feels like they have ownership of it, you can actually have a school that's owned by the students. Now, they, what they own is, is they own these NFTs, right? Which should go sort of up in value or down in value, depending on, on what, what the school ends up producing at, as an organization. But like you end up with, with kind of ownership, right? And it turns out like actually all the things that result in real learning come from creating, come from building, come from writing, come from, you know, like doing things, right? Being active. And the, the consumer mindset of education is I'm purchasing, you know, masterclass, right? I'm going to sit back and consume We're educational passive. content, but very few passively. And, and, and very, very few people cite that like, like content consumption as their most impactful learning experience. It's usually my, like work, like work for most people is where they learn the most. And so DAOs sort of make it easy and Web3 sort of makes it easier for people to do the kind of work that results in real life. I love that. You know, so if I don't know how much you know about my no-code journey, but to kind of recap, I was on the sidelines for years and I was in product teams, you know, and was a product manager. So I was watching other people like engineers build stuff. And I was always feeling like frustrated that my ideas were not coming to life or I wanted to do something on my own, never got the tools or the, and the skill set to do that until I realized some of this is my own limiting belief that maybe you know, uh, there are other tools out there in the market. And this is 2018. So no code was, you know, brimming at the right time. And I just lunged and then just jumped into it. And then I said, I'm going to go learn no code. But I remember specifically, my most learning came from actually building and shipping things. But also, I mean, I, at some point, I drew a triangle and I should publish a blog post on this. But like, it came from actually asking great questions, specific, you know, questions, not just general stuff. So the asking led to doing because I was so curious and I was asking the right questions and I was like enamored by the doers and their, what they were doing and how they were going through the motions of building stuff and then becoming a builder, right? And once you become a builder, you're in the doing part, you're like thinking about, you know, all the pros and cons of certain things and like you get into nitty gritty. And then actually the trifecta, the third thing is uh, teaching. And, you know, in James Clear's famous words where he talks about, you know, when you teach, two people learn because you're also revising what you've internalized all, all along the way. And I wonder, this is a random riff on top of what you already shared. I wonder how much of these trifecta, how much of these triangle spots are being covered by learning DAOs today, you know? And I think that should be a great flywheel or an engine. Yeah, I think one of the, the really interesting things is if you ask somebody um, who's the best teacher, Right. They'll, they'll usually cite somebody who's like, oh, well, I, I'd want to learn from a master, right? Someone who's been doing this for right. 20 years, right? But in reality, that's actually not yeah. the person you want to learn from. You want to learn from the person who's currently like like on the mastery journey, who's maybe yeah. two to three steps ahead of you, right? And that's sort of the magic we see in this moment in Web3, right? So all the courses we're going to do, right, in Invisible College are stuff that we've literally just been doing. So like, so, uh, so the folks on our, on our faculty, we just launched a blockchain gaming guild and we just did the crowdfund for it and, and, and all sorts of stuff like that. And so we learned how to build a DeFi protocol. We've got folks who are learning how to build games. We've got folks who are, who are, who are launched, we've launched an NFT collection, right? So all these things we're, we're going to 
turn around and now right. build the course on, right? And and that's what we want other folks in, in IC to do also. And so it's, and like, sure, you could say, hey, I want the, the master of this, teach me how to, but actually that person can't occupy the yeah. beginner's mind anymore. So, so you, you really need someone who, who can, who's just been in your shoes, but knows enough to be able to, to get right. you to the next Practitioner steps. teacher, right? So one other, actually, I, I want to hear from you around on this topic of DAOs in general, uh, if you can broaden the scope beyond just the IC, what's going on? Like, what's the, give us the state of the union of DAOs as of today. Like, where, where are we? How many, I know there are some other examples. There's a Links DAO, I think the one that's raising a raising money to buy golf courses. And so give us some examples. Give us like what, where the trends are going. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's there's DAOs really trying to do all sorts of things, right? There's Constitution DAO, which came together to try to buy the Constitution. There's Links DAO, which is trying to build a private membership club. There's Bankless that's building a, a media empire, right? There, there are all of these different sorts of decentralized organizations, and they're coming together in order to kind of sit at the intersection of kind of community and company, right? There's a space in between those two things that really just seems to motivate people, right? Like people sort of dread going to their company, but they love going to their community, right? And so there's this sort of space in between where can you get a community that is more uh, focused on a really specific purpose where you could actually earn a living or at least part of a living by contributing to that to that organization where work is a little bit more flexible where where you can assemble a few different things together right like one of the interesting things that we've we found is like you know there's more than one learning dao right and a lot of people who are contributors to ours are in other learning daos which is awesome because we actually get like to we our ideas go there their ideas go to us and it's um i've sort of likened it to like it's kind of a similar feel to, to like polyamory, right? Like, we, you know, in, in the way that most people can't imagine having one of their employees going to work for whether it's a competitor or not, right? Like, like for another Same company, space, right? But, sure. it, yeah. it, you know, it, Right. There, there was a whole, you know, there was there was all this, all these articles, I think, over 2021 about, you know, people who had two jobs and, and how horrible that was. Right. But it's like in DAOs, that's expected. Right. You you contribute to multiple different places. Your allegiances lie in many places. Um, and there's something really kind of freeing and interesting about it. And so it's a really exciting kind of white space to explore. It's also a space where we have to be a little bit realistic. Right. If there were a bunch of practices that really worked for companies, they would be doing them. Right. And, and it's, it's not that there, there isn't any white space to find or, or there aren't um, there aren't cool things you can do with Web3 technology that give you a big advantage. But it's I think the important thing is, are does your DAO get people excited and enthusiastic? Does it capture and harness and create energy? And if it does create energy and contributors, then you'll succeed. Right. If you're just sort of bogged down in like, you know, governance all the time and you're just trying to get everyone to vote on everything, like you'll put yourself in a space where you're much less effective as an organization and like and talented people want to work for effective organizations. So it's I think we'll relearn a lot of the lessons uh, about what makes good governance. And like a lot of people will make will run a lot of experiments that we that and make mistakes. But like I think overall, it's a really cool white space for people to build things. So what? From your experience of doing this for, for a little while now, what do you think are the components that make it feel magical? Like what motivates talented people to come, one, join the DAO, second, contribute to it, and then B, C, third is be, be a loyal 
member. I think the retention is where I'm seeing a lot of struggle for some DAOs. Totally. And it's it, it's especially, you know, challenging when the Web3 and crypto markets well, are yeah. are variable, right? And so like, you know, the more they're going up, the more excited people will be, the more that the token is going up, right? So, you know, there are a lot of ways where it's it's challenging, sort of in the way it's challenging to retain community members, but they're also contributing and, and doing work. So you have to give people jobs that are exciting to them that are somewhat flexible, where they they really can can sort of do the kind of work they're excited about, the jobs where, where they can kind of stretch a bit. So I think that's kind of the, the key in order to, to making it successful. And then you have to give them a vision that's really exciting and, and something to be able to to work for that they that they sort of naturally want to geek out on and get excited about. It, you know, I, I think of DAOs to some degree are kind of can be like side projects or open source projects for non-technical people. Now, they can also be side projects for technical people, but it's but that, that's always sort of existed. So I think it, it, it represents sort of a, a nice different kind of break from work where you don't necessarily have to be launching your own thing. You can be collaborating and building community with people as you're working on something on the side. It reminds me of, you know, Homebrew Club, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak had back, back in the day. There were members of it and people would just come and tinker. And they would just, you know, hack away for a day or two days or six months, you know, if they wanted to. And there was really no company-like agenda for those. Like there was no like Q2, Q3 quarterly goals. It was mostly curiosity-driven experimental things that they built, you know, like the famous black blue box or whatever they built, you know, with, with the uh, telecommunication systems back in the day. So do you see that happening in your, in, in your community where there's a lot of people who are just tinkering? And they're just like having fun, they're learning and maybe they're challenging themselves, you know, in a certain topic, but there is really not a grand motive behind everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're in that moment, I, I, like everyone has their own kind of Web3 journey, right? Like when you first get in, it's really just like, hey, there are all these cool projects I want to explore. And then and then you you get this kind of itch to start something of your own, right? And when you do that, you start looking around for other people who might be excited about the same stuff that you are, right? You, you look at a DAO, should I build an NFT collection, right? Like, and then, and then you, you start just sort of exploring and tinkering. And that's a really kind of, it's a powerful process. And, and everyone in our community is at a different stage of that. And so, you know, it's really like the community is kind of the place where they meet up and collide and be able to talk about what they're working on. We've got some groups that are sort of building in public within the community, right? We, they have their own channel, right? That where they, where they talk about what they're doing, they talk about their struggles, they talk about their successes and their fundraise. And our members get to watch what they're doing and get to see if like, hey, do I want to invest in this? Because a lot of these Web3 organizations, they'll have an NFT or a token or something that they can launch at the end. And so there's a really kind of powerful pull. And and and, and by sort of getting those people on board and getting them excited, then you can ultimately kind of, you know, really kind of build out this cool community. Is there an opportunity to systematize some of the NFT project creation and, you know, kind of maybe like incubate some of these projects? Like I'm looking at open and you know, if you see some of these, even Solana art for an extent, I know you're, you're more Solana friendly. But like a lot of these project creators are going through the same motions, right? Like if you go on OpenSea today, like there's 8,000 of them on the homepage and pretty much they all had to go through similar steps. The art per se may have been different and value slash utility that's attached to those may have been different. But essentially it's the same process. And I think, I wonder if there is a, if there is a YC-like incubator or, or uh, Techstars or uh, ODX, whatever you want to call it, something that produces, something that first of all is a breeding ground for great ideas and great talent to first come in and, and shares these best practices and systematizes some of the journey so that more 
more people can, you know, go ahead and, and have their own NFT collections uh, so that there's not a lot of friction in the process. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're you're dead on there. There are there's so many pieces about it that are that are standardized. Um, I, and I think what you're seeing is you're seeing more tools coming out like Third Web that sort of make that process much more seamless, that sort of abstract away the need to build smart contracts and 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 learn solidity or in Solana's case, Rust. It, it's it, it'll definitely get easier over time. Now there, you know, we say that, but we've just been like wrestling with our our mint site and and trying to handle a bunch of these these rules that we made for different parts that we don't want to appear on the same nft so you know there are i think on the face of it it seems like a simple kind of straightforward uh um, set of steps and then you know like all things kind of once you get underneath it gets mm. it gets more tricky um, especially if you want to do something that, that is a little bit more of like a complex right. rich project Awesome. So, so give us a couple ideas on your roadmap. Like, what do you have coming up next for this DAO and the NFT project? Yeah. So, uh, I think once we mint the Decentralians, then we really want to get to building the school and getting it to like a, a kind of steady state, right? And so, we want to start working on our first course together. We want to start uh, getting the first companies out of our launch pad. We, we, we had we had one, but that was sort of uh, coming from the faculty. And we you, you can actually see there's we 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 put so we're, we're invisible college.xyz and we built a whole kind of campus map right and, and talking about sort of the educational media that we'll produce and the events that we'll have and the the launch pad that we want to build and so it's really about kind of executing on that and then all the meanwhile we're still building the decentralians franchise right like there's there's other drops we want to do we, we sort of think of ourselves as tinkers and builders who want to just like keep messing around as we're building this this sandbox to be able to build in very exciting i can't wait to see all of that unfold and you know be, be as closely involved as possible so let's switch gears and talk about creator economy for a second because i think that's what sure. brought you to web3 in my view and you shared with me privately this amazing article that you wrote which i actually i read when you published it about going independent and i think the the phrase you used was going from rocket ship to a jetpack or something like that so can you give us the quick summary of that article and i have a couple specific questions on that sure yeah you know i think in september of 2021 i i made the decision to leave my company which was i was uh, in product marketing there, and it was you know growing like crazy. Uh, a, a really a, a, called Guild Education, a wonderful place to be that I like wholeheartedly recommend to tons of people to join. I think they're they're both doing well and doing good. And because I think the I think I recognize something in myself that like it, you know being on a rocket ship is is phenomenal. There's a real camaraderie and excitement to it. But but I kind of recognized I was in more of like an exploratory mode. I was I was loving getting my hands dirty in Web three, loving publishing the newsletter and like really wanted to, I think Packy wrote a great article called The Great Online Game. And I, I felt myself being more drawn to being an independent player and playing that and really being able to, to not sort of operate under the system that a company had sort of set out, right? In, in a company, you, um, you, you sort of can advance in a, you know, linear promotion path. You can get raises at a, at a set time and date. And that makes a ton of sense for companies. But I think for me, like I was just, I was sort of, I was so enthusiastic and excited about, about being able to explore all this white space in web three, that it just felt clear to me that I needed to be on my own and you know strap on a jetpack. <laughs> and you listed like a series of experiments that you wanted to do. Can you give us an update on how 
those experiments are going? Have you done some, many, all of them? Yeah, you know, I started out right right when I went independent. I did too many things at once. <laughs> so so I, I like I had a, two different consulting gigs. I was was starting a kind of talent matching service and then working on Invisible College, this kind of Web3 learning DAO and was kind of able to juggle a lot of those things for, for some time. And then Invisible College kind of had a really, you know, positive, explosive launch. And suddenly, you know, the level of overwhelm like I, I just kind of hit my my limit. And so starting in January, I, I sort of I stepped back from from some of the contracts that I'd signed and I and, and decided to to actually go and really go kind of full time on Invisible College. Because what I what I recognized was what, what, the hard thing about going independent is like when you're at a company, you have a manager and that manager can give you a good sense for how to make sure that you're using your time in the best way possible. Right. And they can make sure if you're overwhelmed with too many things, they take one thing off your plate and give it to your coworker. When you're independent, that doesn't happen. Right. That's you. And, and so. So I think when I when I first initially started, I, I like just I was interested in so many things, but I also sort of had a there's some kind of level of fear in me of wanting to, you know, have have a lot of things that I could potentially jump into. So, so there were I think that was kind of my 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 mode. And then, you know, when something really kind of uh, started to work, I decided, you know, I really wanted to double down on that and turn it into something special. And so and so that was kind of my, my choice that I made in 2022. And it's been a really good one. Um, but I, I think, you know, even before I, I went independent, I was sort of thinking about, hey, should I build a course? Should I, you know, they're, they're all, you know, I was dreaming up with, with one of my co-founders of Invisible College starting an NFT collection, right? Like there are all these things that we were messing around with. And so, um, and, and a lot of them kind of came to fruition in Invisible College, but it's, yeah, it's been a, been a real journey and, and just a, a lot of kind of learning every day. In terms of the article, again, I read a piece, I mean, I, I read a section there where you cover this topic of um, zone of genius. And I love that. And I think I read, you know, a couple months ago, Justin Kahn wrote about it or talked about it and, and something it's been looming uh, on as a thing that I've been thinking about lately. So what? How do you describe that, right? And if you want to share, how do you, what's your perspective on zone of genius? And are you currently doing as many things as you can in the zone of genius? It's a great question. So I think that zone of genius comes from a book called 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, which I love. And and I think I, it sounds like Justin probably recommends it too, uh, but I, I know plenty of people who've, who've gotten a lot of that book. And zone of genius is, is one of those ideas where I may butcher it, but it's basically, there are things that, that you specifically are excellent at. And there are things that you're not so good at. And there are things that you love to do and there are things you don't love to do, right? Doing those things that you're great at and love to do, that's your zone of genius. And the more time you can spend in that area, the better your endeavors will be. And so I really made made sure to sort of team up with people who compliment me and have other zones of genius outside of the ones that I have so, so that we can, when we build together, we can really complement each other versus walking all over each other. And so that was kind of one of the important things when uh, our team assembled for Invisible College, like we had someone who was great in engineering, someone who was great at products, someone who was great at art, and someone who was great at ops. And so, so like, you know, the things that I tend to be good at are community building, marketing, writing, you know, sales, all sorts of things like that. And so those are the places where I try to spend as much time as possible. And luckily, you know, ha having partners that, that sort of balance you out that way, it, that's really great. I think when you're operating independently and, and sort of before Invisible College, it's really finding opportunities and projects to work on that that demand that zone of genius out of you versus demand things that you uh, you aren't good at or don't like to do. I think the, the part that confuses a lot of people is one where they actually are good at it, but they don't like to do. That's the part that 
I think, and I, and I made a tweet about this recently where like, don't let competence get in the way of your greatness, you know, and it happens all the time, right? Where you're just good at something. And so people keep coming back to you because of, you know, that thing that you're good at, but you're not great at it. And there are other things that you're so great at, but you don't even have enough time to dedicate to those because you're just so busy being the person who's always doing the things that you're good at, right? And I, for me, I mean, just as reflecting with you in public, I, for me, it took me 30 years. I tweeted about this early this morning. It took me 30 years to realize that I'm actually good at community. Actually, not good, great at community. And when I say good, this is great. I'm, I mean, it's not a, necessarily my own self-assessment. I'm saying what makes me jump up out of my, like jump out of my chair and what makes me like, oh my God, I could talk about this for hours and I love this and it could shine, it shines in my work. And it took me 30 years and, and all the things that I was good at were in my way to get to the part that where I finally was great at and, and same thing with podcasting same thing with like hosting events i just love that and somebody had to tell me that you know what you actually are great at this you don't need prep you don't need nothing you just and i was like oh my god that's so true but there are other things i was good at and i thought that was my identity you know just good enough isn't that powerful you, you just you just sort of yeah. need one person to like like see yeah. you for who you are and say like hey yeah. you know you know K, kp you're you're excellent at this. You should you know you, why why are you doing this, more of it? Uh, but I'll tell you like two specific incidents. One was like in Atlanta, I was hosting a meetup. Shout out to Cotlin Allen, you know, founder of Indie Hackers. He came to visit Atlanta and you know, I was doing Atlanta chapter of indie hackers meetup and we it was not really planned much he just came to just make a visit and we had like a bunch of people who were doing demos and stuff and suddenly i pulled two chairs and i said uh since you're here in Cortland anyway why don't you just like reflect on being acquired by stripe and like indie hackers journey and stuff like that and i'm gonna just ask you there was no microphone there was nothing it was just him and me looking at each other and then there was like eight people in the audience and he walked away after that saying kp should start a podcast i still first of all i was like i thought he was nuts second of all i still didn't develop the conviction to go to take the shot of starting a podcast until after I joined Nondeck and watched Eric Thornburg and a bunch of people. And I'm like, oh, this is what it is like. And I, yeah, I can do a podcast. But it took me a long time to really, you know, believe in myself. It's the same thing with self-doubt, right? Like it takes a while to believe in something and it takes one person or two people to really like. Yeah, it's, it's it, the other thing you hit on, right? It's like, it's like first you need to know I'm good at this, right? So someone has to sort of validate and someone ideally, you know, who you look up yeah. to, right? Validates, hey, you're good at this. And you see somebody who you want to be like or, or who you are like, who, who does that thing. And that also sort of inspires you and says, oh, like, you know, this person figured out how to do it. Like, exactly. I can figure out how to do it, right? And, and that, that's a, those are two kind of really powerful, pivotal moments that help you sort of recognize your I, competence. I wonder, this is a great segue to my third topic, which is the art of creating and, and writing and publishing. And, you know, you're so great at that long form. I love your long form articles. I wonder how much, is there anything that kind of made you that kind of inspired you to start the jungle gym you know and also give us a little sense of how, what it takes to write that you know write the newsletter because it, it's i know i'm sure it has to be a significant amount of time or energy yeah thanks for saying that um it, it, so i started the jungle gym in i want to say it was 2019 and really just you know i had been uh, writing on medium since maybe 2013 or something and you know w was was sort of tired of like renting my audience right and, and so like the idea of, of just like capturing emails and having sort of this this direct communication and this permission to be able to bother them in their inbox uh, was very enticing and you know when i commit to doing something i just kind of do it right i like it, it's uh, the idea of like letting, even if my audience doesn't feel let down, if they don't get it in their inbox, like I feel like I'm letting them down. And so, you know, I, it's really important to me to like, to like follow through on that. And so it's just kind of pushed me to really want to make the jungle gym something special. I just noticed there, there's so many people who, you know, who their careers just feel like a mystery, right? And it's, it's this weird thing, right? Where career has become so important. It's become so 
defining for people's sense of self. But also we're just in this moment where like, you know, you may no longer need a company to have a great career, right? Like there, there's so much kind of new white space and so many things changing all the time that it felt useful to have someone who's sort of, you know, building their career in public to a certain degree, right? But also sort of like talking about it and reflecting on it in kind of a, a human way. So it's not just sort of like how to, you know, get a promotion and how to, you know, it's a little bit more of like the soulful questions of like, like, you know, where should career fit into the good life? And is being independent, does that make sense, right? Like, um, should I let HR determine my career ambition? So I think uh, writing about things like that just sort of came naturally to me. It was an, an audience that I sort of had a, some credibility with from being in education and career education for a while. And so really have just, and then I think there was good, you know, j just like I think you probably got great feedback from what you do on Twitter and, and from what you do on your podcast, like, I got great feedback from writing the newsletter, right? And that feedback is so powerful because it says, hey, you're doing the right thing. Like somebody's getting benefit from this and they're, you know, they're in my inbox saying thank you, right? And and that makes all the difference. And and I was seeing other people do it who I, you know, I was like, if this person can do it, I can do it, right? And then seeing some audience growth. And so those things together just really kind of inspired me and made me want to, you know, push You've for it. You've been consistent at it, right? Do you do, you, do you weekly or bi-weekly? What's your cadence? I do it every other week. And you're talking to me at a point of stress because we have this, the pre-sale for our mint coming up and then the public sale on Monday. And in my timeline of for the newsletter, I have an issue that's due to my readers on Sunday. And I am, this is like the moment that I have to decide if like I am going to pull the trigger and do my Sunday newsletter or if I'm going to let it lapse a week which I am not sure where I will come out on this uh, because it's, it's just, it's, you it's hear two things that I care about a ton. As a, as a subscriber, Please. as a reader, as a, as my, Please. I would love a paragraph, yes. not an essay, given what's going on. And I would have yep. the rest of the page blank, almost like a joke or let the rest of it say, you know, like this is what's going on. And because it, it would still show this sheer commitment that you have. Because like I said, like there's, I admire people like I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of great qualities, I think. And but the, the, the thing that I don't have is this consistency streak. But also I look at it as a way to like indicate whether I'm super, is this my personal monopoly or not? And if it's not, then, you know, I mean, I don't worry about it. Like my Twitter, I've been on a streak for 460 days. I can't even believe it. And I don't even, I don't even think about it. I just do it. Right. But with you, what I loved about your story is that you've been so consistent in, the, in presenting information, you know, writing the newsletter that as a, as a reader, I would be happy taking one fourth of what I would normally get, you know, but the truth of it is that you, you're having a crazy week, you know? So that's true. You know, you've inspired me. And, and that actually may be exactly what I do is just like, hey, this you're finding me at this crazy week. I care about you, this audience enough that I really want to write you. But you, you, I do not have enough to give you the full the full right. multi. And it's, such, uh, it's, so. it's so much more vulnerable, so much more honest, you know, and it's so easy also for somebody else to advise this. I wish I could take my own advice that I need. So I, Nick, this is an open invitation for you. If I ever skip on something, you know, please knock on my DMs and say, KP, you, gotta, you know, just ship something. But... <laughs> <laughs> one So one other tangent that I know you covered in your articles and I really loved was this notion of building an audience as a career moat. And I think it's something that people don't really actively think about, you know, when they start in the, when they start the careers. And I think by the, by the way, they're halfway through, they're like, yeah, it's too late now. Or like, why do I need an audience? I'm on this exact ladder chain or whatever they are, their ambition is. And so I just gave a talk at On Deck last Friday. That was the topic was, it's funny because you wrote an article like, I don't know, a year ago. And the topic that I gave was like building an audience audience in tech as a career superpower similar you know essence of it and it was well received people loved it and then i tried to not enforce too much of building public into it because it's my building public stories are mostly for founders i think this is for operators for employees you know and what what i was trying to say was like if you're able to somehow be relevant in your niche in your vertical you know 
inevitably it's a great thing. It's a great win for you in the long run. You can carry that audience from wherever company you go to or wherever DAO you end up in. But also even for the company, it goes back to your article about platform brands. It's a great win because you can galvanize an audience. Some of them could be customers. I'm not saying everybody, but some of them could be customers. So I want to unpack both of these topics with you. Like, can you summarize the first article around, actually, is it, I don't know if it's an article or a section, but the topic around building an audience as, as a moat. Yeah, I think ultimately when you look at, it was kind of inspired by watching GPT-3. Right. And, and like, and you had this skill copywriting, right. Which, which at one point was this like six right. figure skill set, right. That you could, you could learn. And suddenly you had a, a career set out in front of you. And with GPT-3, like, look, copywriting is not dead, but what it shows us is that it's probably not long for this world, right. Now copywriting is, it's art, it's science, but like, but if we can get artificial intelligence to be able to finish, you know, a Slate Star Codex post, we can probably get it to do marketing copywriting. And so it really made me wonder, okay, what what are these skills that are sort of future proof, as people say? And I think one of them, one thing that it is very hard for machines to replicate is influence. Like humans are really, really good at being able to spot other humans that they should take cues from and wow. make decisions off of. And so, you know, I think that having an audience is ultimately like, it's a superpower and it's a very hard thing to be able to, to you know, for a, for a machine to replicate. And so I think of, you know, it, it giving you a lot of flexibility to be able to like chart your own path, right? Like I wouldn't have been able to start Invisible College without the audience that I built from Substack or on Twitter. And that's a really powerful thing. You know, you, you can be friends with people who have big audiences that, that can also help too. But like, but in general, you just have a, a lot more direction and control over what you do with your life. And so that that to me was pretty important. So I, I do think of it as this as this kind of career mode that, that helps you protect you against, you know, whatever future shocks the yeah. world may bring. My, my, you want to hear my favorite part about having an audience? And I wish I knew this. I knew, I'm sure like you, like as you were writing stuff, if you're producing stuff, as you were creating content, at some point a switch goes off and you know you're inevitably going to build an audience because it's working, you get the feedback loop and you're like, oh, I need to get better at these things. But over time, with mastery and skills and, you know, the reps and sets, I'm getting there, right? And I felt that many times. I started 414 followers on Twitter. Now I'm over 30K. And I, at many times in this journey at 1K, 2K, 3K, I kept feeling that, yes, I'm on my way. My favorite part, though, is what scaled so well is the ability to crowdsource for solutions and ideas. Mind-blowing, right? You have, especially on Twitter, you have really great, smart people around you uh, and working at these great startups, you know, around you. And like, let's say you have this itch and you're like figuring out, oh, I'm trying to do X, Y, Z on a project or whatever. And instead of trying to ask your best friend or DM like, you know, four other people that you know, if you put it on Twitter, there's nothing that takes off smart people than seeing an incorrect answer. This is something Eric Thornberg taught me. He said, if you want to say something, if you want to get the right answer, publish the wrong answer first. Because they'll jump into your thread, they'll jump into your DMs and say, that was wrong, KP. Here's the right answer. And here's the eight-minute Loom video on why I'm right. And I'm like, thank you. You just saved me eight hours of Google search. Right? But in a good way, like it, there's so many smart people out there. And you, know, you can leverage the collective brain trust when you have an audience. And that's something that I really didn't know how powerful it was when I was like, you know, 400 people. And as you scale, like you can do a lot of things. You can do market research, you know, you can do a lot of like, like demand testing, validation, and also like, you know, restaurant recommendations and everything. So there's so many pros, of course, you know, there's cons. But so let's let's talk a little bit on- what, what, I'm, for, you, for you, what what number followers did you find where you could ask a question and reliably get maybe three useful answers? I think it was around 1,000. At about 1K. That's why I actually, my hot take is that after you hit like 10K, unless you hit a million people on Twitter, it's the same. I'm 100% sure my experience 
with 30k i don't know how many you have and sahil avinja said the same thing when you know when i chat with him at 200k and like you know 500k is about until you hit a million it's almost similar you probably get like data points in the data set but directionally it's the same experience at 10k i started experiencing what i'm experiencing right now which is this there's this 10% of audience who are always going to like take what i'm saying out of context and the twist things and all that but there's you know there's this collective brain trust that i said that are happy to help and they will promote you know my stuff but after like again after 10k whatever you do no matter what you do they think that you're promoting stuff right because you have that big an audience and so you have to really humble and uh, you have to like uh, align your expectations around when you launch a new when i launch a new no code project or announce something at undeck or whatever i don't ever think that oh now we have 30k hence 5% of 30k conversion i don't think that i just think are there going to be 100 people who care about this and so you always have to remember that there'll only be 100 maybe 150 people who care about whatever you say at each checkpoint so you you remain happy and retain the you retain your inner peace otherwise you're going to go bonkers that man i you know what am i doing wrong at 30k why are people not liking my stuff or you know Right, right but but yeah i mean the quality has been from about 1000 to 5000 i've had amazing friendships like you know drew riley became a great friend and and, and so on and we were, we were all you know in the same league at the time so uh, let's unpack a little bit more on the uh, platforms uh, platform brands i think that's something that was very very smart that you published and why should more startups you know think about that or consider that first of all what is it and then why should people care about it yeah i think the the fundamental change is that in Social media works very differently than broadcast media. In general, it start, the, the, it, actually, the, the first insight, right, is that humans pay attention to other humans. It is the thing that sets us apart. It is this watch and see uh, mimetic cultural learning, right? We we pay attention to other humans, and so on. In broadcast media, human beings, like individuals. aren't able to buy ads. I mean, it may be really rich ones, but like but that just doesn't happen, right? Like the Super Bowl is filled with with company commercials, right? And so companies just compete with other companies for attention, but it's not, you know, it's that's actually not that uh, intensive competition. If you go on Twitter, right? Like I don't follow any companies. Uh, maybe maybe a few, but but like very few, right? They they're, they're, you know, most of my feed is individuals. And because individuals mm-hmm. are just more interesting. Right? I can take cues from individuals I can I I like people are just fascinating. And so what you're and when it comes to marketing a, a product, right? People take cues from other people, right? People are looking at what other people do who are similar to them but prestigious. And they're saying, "Should I do this?" Well, it's hard to do first principles analysis, so I'll take the mental heuristic shortcut of saying like, "Hey, does, you know, does KP do this?" right? If, if KP does this, KP's got 30,000 followers, he must know something. I'll do it. And so there's there's something really powerful for that. So so in this world where it's harder for a company to get their message out through their own channels and their own voice, it's really powerful to have a bunch of allied people who can get those messages out for them. Influencers tend to be kind of pay right. to play, right? And and in general people yeah, just sort of know that, that right? Like, like you you see Kylie Jenner, you know, promoting something, it's like maybe she likes it, but like Maybe right. she just got paid a bunch. I think there's something really powerful about helping your employees build audiences because your employee has made a really significant decision, which is to spend their time and talent working for your company, right? So OnDeck is great at this. OnDeck has has all of these these really talented people who have devoted, you know, time and talent to OnDeck, right? And that should say something about OnDeck. And so the more that that those people can sort of build audiences like you and 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 Eric and and David, right? The better OnDeck does. right and because those people they have credibility by just the fact that mm-hmm. they're working for Ondeck right and i think the same is true for for gong for for morning brew right like like there there are these brands where like they're you know it's it, it's sometimes it's the founders but often it's the employees build these audiences and have this this crazy reach now yes some of those people will get big and leave but like 
frankly, there's almost no better advertisement for your company than being able to send successful people off on to do their yeah, next thing. Absolutely. And and also the, the long-term play there is that they come back and they become advocates, they become they talk to other early talent, you know, when they're applying for the jobs. Like I my favorite part about so I was never into chatbots. I didn't give a shit about chatbots, but I, I was into David Cancel and, and Dave Gardot and their podcasts, you know, and because of that content and what they did, I cared about Drift. So this is another famous example. I, I don't want, I didn't even know what Drift was. I didn't care about Drift until I heard about them. I liked them. I see, like you said, like there's a similarity and there's a, a mimetic. Oh my God, they think like how I think. They're open-minded, so on and so. And then, oh yeah, then I care. A lot of my current audience are just like that, right? I, I don't think a lot of them are, they give a shit about ODNC or, or no code or whatever that I do. They're like, let's explore what KP is, what journey is KP on? You know, what journey is Nick on? And then they're like, Oh, and once in a while you say, oh, here's what I'm doing. And here's, if this makes sense to you, where you are in your life, please do this. Otherwise, totally fine. And it's paid off so much in many ways I can measure th that I can measure. And uh, I think it's a tactic that a lot of companies are sleeping on because they're still playing the zero sum web two games. You know, they're still like thinking like your output should be measured on your time in the company as opposed to like your performance, you know, and like your impact. They're yeah. scared to a certain degree, right? Like they're, 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 they're scared if they're, if the employee at their company builds a big enough audience they, you know, it subverts the, the HR created right. status hierarchy, right? So, you know, every HR department creates a level titling compensation system. And that's supposed to say, hey, like this person's a senior director, this person's a VP, this person is a, a lowly yeah. analyst, right? And, but when the analyst has, you know, hundred thousand Twitter followers, right? The, the power differential changes slightly. And we we're also now living in this world where, you know, People are like Twitter is a it's a water cooler, right? It is it is sort of the if you are an independent worker or you are even just a remote worker, right? Like like no matter what company you're in, like you're spending time on Twitter as like the place to banter about what's going on at work, right? And and so the kind of status hierarchies that every company has has kind of invented are breaking down. And so you know better to, to sort of take advantage of that uh, uh, than than to just you know uh, let it let it steamroll. As, as we go forward into the world where I think this is inevitable, where there will be people who will be doing multiple gigs, you know, like the, the multi-hyphenate, like the poly work thing we discussed at the beginning, whether it's in multiple DAOs or multiple like consultants to multiple companies, it's inevitable that some of these, you know, ambitious, successful talent, they can be contained in one box, like back in, you know, in 90s or whatever. So it, it, you might as well just embrace it, you know, because you're better off that way in the, in the long run. So, all right. This is awesome. I mean, I could go on for another hour with you, Nick. Thank you so much. And I mean, I just want to say like what you're in this stressful week. And hopefully when the episode comes out, hopefully you will be less, you know, less stressed and you'll be relieved. What are you most excited about? And what, what kind of impact do you want to create with uh, with this learning DAO? Thanks, KP. It's, it's been a blast talking with you. And yeah, this, this is our, our, our first actual conversation off Twitter. So, so, so fun to get to meet you this way. You know, it's a, there is stress this week, but it's also... I like stopped, you know, earlier this week, I was, I was kind of like, you know, our, our something in our mint site, there was a bug in our mint site or something like that. And I was like, you know, telling my wife, I was like, ah, oh, it's, you know, one thing after another. And then, you know, I just kind of realized like, man, we live in 2022. 
we get to go mint an NFT collection and, and like like on in the first you know couple of years of its this this technology's existence and get to uh, have our Discord community pop up with a whole bunch of these like avatars we created and then build a school together like what a special amazing thing and and I think you know it's it's I like I have these moments of reframe which are just so magical and powerful and then you, you sort of realize like you're doing this thing that is that's exciting and special. And so, you know, I, I think when I think about Invisible College, right, like I really, I think there's this magical experiment I want to run, which is like what happens when you give students ownership of the school. And luckily, you know, we, we've got a community of like, you know, almost 4,000 people who are just like jazzed to try to run this, you know, and some of those people will end up buying NFTs and, and coming along for the full journey, right? And it's just, we're, we live in this in this moment of like experimentation. And, and I'm, and I think this, this this experiment is one that I'm just really excited to run and like change some lives, give some people sort of uh, these really energizing livelihoods and, and jobs that get them really jazzed. So there's, I think, a lot of cool stuff that, that that's ahead. So that's that's what that's I'm so excited cool. about. Awesome. I just want to wish you all the best and wish the entire Invisible community, DAO and the team all the best. And uh, hopefully we'll, I'll catch you on your Discord and maybe we'll do something uh, for Invisible College Insight. All right, that's it. Thanks, everybody. See you, Nick. Thanks, KP. Bye.